0: a question for you, and the question is this. Have you ever had a moment where everything felt perfect in your life until it didn't? You ever had a moment where everything felt great until it didn't? One of the first memories that come to mind around that question is, when I was in the fourth grade, I was in Mrs. Mayfield's class. And I remember Mrs. Mayfield every month would change our seating rotation. So we were constantly sitting with different people. And we'd sit with those people in that table of four uh, for the month, and then we would rotate. And I remember this one Monday walking in to class, sitting down, noticing where my name was, and sitting across from me was a girl named Brittany. Now, Brittany was the coolest girl in fourth grade, okay? Like all the guys liked her. She was amazing. She was funny. She was sweet. All the great things. And so I remember being so excited that I was sitting across from Brittany. I remember I didn't know Sarah then, okay? So this B B.S. Don't say that. Uh, before Sarah, it's before Sarah. Before Sarah, and I'm I'm sitting across from Brittany, and and we're starting to talk and get to know each other. And I'm telling you, things felt perfect for the next several weeks. We were getting to know each other and talking and laughing. And then all of a sudden, something really magical happened. Something really, really special. One morning during class, Brittany started to play footsie's with me underneath the table. Okay, which. I know it's been a long time since you were in the fourth grade, but when you're playing footsies with somebody, the next step for a fourth grader is marriage. That's just how that works. And so Brittany's playing footsies with me, and we're kicking each other under the desk and having a great time, and then on Friday, Brittany says, hey, Eric, I wanna invite you over to my house this weekend. And I was already ready to say yes, and then she said, let me tell you what I have at my house. We have a trampoline in my backyard. My mom stocks the cabinet with fruit roll-ups. Y'all remember fruit roll-ups. Amen, fruit roll-ups. And we have Capri Suns. And I thought to myself... This, if, if we're going to get married, that's the perfect wedding reception right there. A trampoline, fruit roll-ups, and Capri Suns. And so I say, absolutely. Mom and I jump in the minivan that Saturday morning, and we cruise over to Brittany's house. And my mom and Brittany's mom are talking, and Brittany and I are jumping on the trampoline, having a great time, eating fruit roll-ups and drinking Capri Suns. And then all of a sudden, Brittany says, did you bring your rollerblades? And back then, I was a rollerblader. I said, I bring them everywhere. Absolutely, I brought my rollerblades. And she said, let's go rollerblading down to the bottom of the street because our parents can't see us. Y'all, this <laughs> got real. So you better believe I strapped those things on as quickly as I could. And I go cruising down the street. We go rollerblading down to the bottom of the street and then Brittany says, Eric, I want you to close your eyes. And you guys, up to this point, I had only kissed mom. So I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect and so I I close my eyes and I start to kind of pucker up and and I'm just like, this is the most amazing day of my life. And then Brittany, she grabs like, wow, my eyes are closed and my hands are up. She grabs these two clods of dirt and she dumps them on my hands, right? And she's like, ha ha ha! And then just rollerbladed away, whatever. But I was like, I don't care. That didn't go as planned. This was the best day of my life. So Monday rolls around and we walk into Mrs. Mayfield's class and She's changed our seating rotation. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting all the way over here and Brittany is sitting all the way over here. And I look over at Brittany and from sitting all the way over there, I can look over and I can see Brittany. And sitting across from Brittany is a guy named David. David was was buff. All the girls liked David. Um, he had older brothers, so David could bench press ten pounds, no problem. The kid, the kid was ripped. He was ripped, and and I remember from sitting all the way over there as a fourth grader, looking over, and Brittany and David are playing footsie's underneath the table, and you guys, as a fourth grader, my heart began to break. I began to feel some rejection. Things were perfect until they weren't. You know what the saddest part of that whole story is? That was like 26 years ago for me. It was 26 years ago. And as I'm telling you this story right now, I'm still a little angry at David, okay? Like things worked out for me, I'm okay. But I'm still a little angry at David. Why is that? Because sin has a lingering effect. Because when you've experienced rejection or betrayal or somebody gossiping about you, it's hard to just let that stuff go. It's because when your heart's been broken, when you've been let down, when somebody has said something about you or exposed you in a certain way, or you've experienced other people's sins spilling over into your life, it feels like death. It wounds Maybe some of you have wondered, we kind of hinted at this last night, but maybe some of you have wondered, how did we get here? I mean, if if this holy, perfect, all-powerful, sovereign God, creator of the universe, who is infinite, created all of this, how did it go wrong? What happened in the process? And what I want to do is I want to unpack that story with you. Find me in Genesis chapter 3. We talked Genesis chapter 1 last night. We're going to talk Genesis chapter 3 this morning. It's kind of a launching pad, and then we'll jump back into our Ephesians 4 text. In Genesis chapter 3, the story begins like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What's he talking about? Okay, so God creates this beautiful garden for Adam and Eve to live in. And he says, you can enjoy all of it except there is one tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God warns them. God says, I wanna be really clear with you. God's a truth teller in every way. And so he said, there's a tree in the middle of the garden. If you eat from this tree, you will die. I'm commanding you not to eat from this tree. To eat from this tree would be to rebel against me. If you eat from this tree, you will certainly die. And maybe some of you have read this story before and it's always perplexed you. Why would God put a tree in the garden of Eden that would lead to sin and brokenness and and disconnection between us and God? Why would He do that if he actually loved us? It's actually because, precisely because he loves you, that he put a tree in the garden, giving humanity an opportunity to either choose God or to reject him. You see, if God never put the option in front of us for us not to choose him, then we would be like robots. We wouldn't have any free will in it. We wouldn't have any sort of engagement, any, any way of actually authentically choosing God. You see, God has chosen us. In fact, throughout Genesis to Revelation, every book of the Bible, all throughout Scripture, it is absolutely clear that God loves you and that God has chosen you. The question of Scripture is this. Will you choose God? And it started here. God said, I love you so much. And I want you to follow me. I want you to obey me. I want you to trust me that I know best. Even when you think you know best, I know better. But in order to give you the option to choose me, there has to be a way for you to reject me. And so Satan comes in the middle of that. Our text continues. Verse two, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's where Satan begins his lies with Adam and Eve that continue into our lives, even into this moment. Satan whispers in their ear, he's whispering in your ear that God is holding out on you. That's the lie from Satan. That God is holding out on you. That culture and that what the other high schoolers are doing, that that is life and that that's where you'll find joy and meaning and gratification and satisfaction and God is holding out on you. That's the lie of the enemy. Since day 1. I remember there was a high school student in our ministry for many years and my wife and I really poured into her and my wife was her life group leader and At the end of her senior year, she said, I just got to let you guys know something. When I go to college, I want to live the college life. I want to drink. I want to smoke. I want to sleep around. I want to do all of that stuff. And we begged her. We said, that is emptiness. There's death in that. There is not life. You will not find what you are looking for. But the allure, the temptation of her culture was too strong. I'll never forget that middle-of-the-night phone call that we received from her. When we picked it up, surprised to hear from her, she was just wailing in the background. And it took several minutes before we could even understand what she was saying. And finally, she uttered the words, I don't know what drug I'm on right now. I don't know how much I've drank. I don't even know who I've slept with or what's happened to me. And then she said this, she said, but I feel dead inside. Satan's whisper to you and I is that sin, we'll define it in a minute, as any thought, action, or word that is in rebellion to God. That any kind of sin is going to, Satan would say it's going to lead you to life. But it always Leads to death. And, and, and here, Eve should have responded when he, when he said, God's holding out on you. Satan said, God's holding out on you. And if you eat this, you'll be like God. She should have responded and said, oh, Satan, you're so confused. I already have God's likeness. He already made me in his image. I bear his likeness. I don't need to go and sin to become like God. I already bear his image and his likeness. But if you and I were in the same shoes as Adam and Eve, we would have done the same. It's any moment in our lives where we dethrone God and put ourselves in his place. It's any time that in God's word, it clearly commands and teaches us, stay away from these things, that these will lead to your destruction. And we say, you know what? I know better. Sin is, is any time you and I assume the role of God in our lives. And it always leads to death. Now, some people think Jesus. They're like, well, well, Jesus never really talked about sin or, or, or Jesus was kind of light on this stuff. Actually, Jesus talked about sin a lot because he knew how devastating it is. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, 21 and 23, listen to what Jesus said. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, Jesus isn't giving an exhaustive list of every sin known to man. But what Jesus is pointing out here is that sin beginning in our heart, it corrupts us and it brings death every single time. And here's a really important point about sin. You and I don't decide what is sin. Culture cannot decide what is sin. We need a definition, an absolute definition, a source bigger, higher than ourselves. Otherwise, if we are the ones determining what sin is, you know what happens in cultures, and if you look at history, this happens over and over again. When when a group of people, aside from God, decide what is sin and what isn't sin, women and children get hurt the most, and society breaks down. And so you have to make a decision. Who defines what is sin in your life? And I would say God and God alone defines what is sin. And here's the thing about sin. It always promises life, but it will always deliver death. And at this moment, sin entered the story of the world, and it brought death to everything. It brought death to our bodies, to us spiritually, emotionally, sexually, relationally. That sin brought death to everything. And using our text in Ephesians chapter 4, I want to look at three devastating effects. Three consequences, three realities of sin and how it impacts every single one of us. If you're the note-taking type, I want you to write this down. Here's our first big idea. Sin will make you run and hide. That every one of us has sin. Every one of us are born into it. That every one of us participate in it. And sin will make you run and hide. The next verse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they... Let's say that again. And they... And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Previous to this, Adam and Eve walked in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other. But once sin entered the story of the world, once they took matters into their own hands, once they chose to redefine, what is good and evil according to their own desires instead of God's word, all of a sudden they find themselves running and hiding from God and students, sin will continue to do the same to you and to me. That that sin will tell us, will will lead us to run and hide from God. In fact, if you're wondering, is there any sin in your life? I would ask the question, in what ways are you running and hiding right now? Are there things about your life, things you're engaging in that your parents don't know anything about and you're running and hiding from them? Are there things that your youth pastors and some of your closest Christian friends and your small group leaders that you're keeping from them intentionally? Because you know that if you share it with them, they're going to have some thoughts according to God's word about that part of your life. Sin will always send you running and hiding from God. And this creates tension in our lives. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, it says this, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. All throughout Scripture, this promise is made that God wants to be with us. That we were designed to be with God, but sin creates tension in that relationship. So sometimes we think of a phrase like that, like God wants to be with us as if, you know, we go through kind of hard things in life and then we pray and we ask God to come and help us and, and our, our image is that God is like this holy Superman that kind of swoops in and, and shows up and is with us and saves the day and then he kind of vanishes until the next really hard thing comes up in our life and we have to pray again. But the reality is scripture paints a different picture. It paints a picture that God's always with you. That he wants to be always with you. That when you're brushing your teeth, he's with you. That when you're walking to school, he's with you. That when you're listening to music, he's with you. When you're watching movies, he's with you. That when you're hanging out with your friends or your boyfriend or girlfriend, he's with you. That that when you're at church, he's with you. When you're really struggling at home by yourself, consumed with thoughts, that he's with you. That he's always with you. But sin creates tension in that relationship. And, And to help illustrate this, I need my friends Jacob and Trace. Can you guys come up? Can you guys give Jacob and Trace a round of applause real quick? Come up here real quick, guys. All right, come up here, guys. All right, to help illustrate this, uh, I found this. I love Amazon. I found this on Amazon. Has anyone ever seen one of these, like, conjoined Christmas sweaters? These are, like, the ugliest but coolest things ever. So here's what I need you guys to do. Okay, so one of you is going to have to play the God character. Trace, you decided to wear a tank top to winter camp. Yeah. So... Jacob's going to be our God character, okay? Jacob's going to be the God character. There's some wisdom here. So go ahead and put these on, you guys, real quick. Go ahead and put those on. There you go. And just have your center arms kind of down in the middle and put your other arms through there. Okay. Okay, so, guys, here we go. Perfect, perfect. All right, come out of here. I've got it. Okay, so this is God's desire with you, I, you know, as best as I can display it, that God wants to be with you. He wants to be connected with you. And if Jacob is our God character, what God wants to do is God wants to lead you and you follow him as you're with him. So, Jacob, I want you to just kind of walk around and chase. I want you to just kind of follow him. Yeah, you guys are best friends. This is so adorable. All right, come back over here, guys. Come back over here. Jacob, come back over here. This is how you were designed. To be in a relationship with God. To go where God wants you to go. To say what God wants you to say. The problem is sin creates tension in that relationship. So here's what I want you to do. Trace, I want you to kind of start moving that direction. And Jacob, you kind of try to start moving that direction. All right, don't break it, you guys. I've got to use this again. Don't break it. Do you see what's happening? Do you see this? This is called Tension. That When sin tells you to go run and hide from God and he's drawing you this way, sin brings about tension in your relationship. And though it will send you, sin will send you running and hiding from God. He, God, wants you to be with him. Not just sometimes, not just at camp, but at all times. Can you guys give these guys a round of applause? You guys can jump down there and take it off when you get down there. All right, number two is this. Number two, go ahead and write these down in your notes. Number two is this. Sin will blind you. Not only will sin make you run and hide from God, but sin will blind you. Now let's jump back to our Ephesians chapter four passage. Ephesians chapter four, verse 18. Verse 18. Paul's building off this idea that this group of people is living out of the futility, the emptiness of their thinking. Paul goes on to say this, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Paul says, you gotta, you got you to gotta, you gotta know this about sin. It is going to darken your hearts. It's going to darken your eyes. It's going to darken your ability to even see, to even make sense of things going on in your life. John Mark Comer, he says, the exact nature of Satan's lies changes from generation to generation from culture to culture and person to person, but they always run along these same lines. Distance yourself from God. Do your own thing. Redefine good and evil based on your own gut and desires. This is what Paul is talking about that the longer you live in the futility, the emptiness of your thinking, the longer you rebel from God, the longer that you allow thoughts and actions and words that don't honor God, that are in disobedience to his word to define and shape and fuel your life, your heart is gonna grow darker. Your ability to see is going to diminish. I wonder, students, in what ways... Has sin blinded you? In what ways is it even hard for you to see up from down? Number three, sin will desensitize you. Not only will sin make you run and hide and it will make you blind, but sin will desensitize you. Paul continues in verse 19, having lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. So Paul begins to lay out some sins, sexual immorality, greed, selfishness, pride, gossip. I mean, he could have just gone on and on, but he says it's rooted and it starts in a heart that's become desensitized, to God's voice. Sin makes it harder and harder to hear God's voice. You know, the, the, the reality of sin is this. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. Let me say that again. Sin... It will always take you farther than you wanted to go. It'll keep you there longer than you ever wanted to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. For some of you, you think about the things that you were looking at online pre-pandemic and with all the craziness of the world and some of the decisions you've been making and, and some of the things your friends have been participating in, all of a sudden... The things you're looking at online right now, you would have never imagined looking at years ago. Maybe the ways that you talk about your friends behind their back has become so cruel, so divisive, so manipulative. You would have never imagined that. Maybe maybe there was a time where keeping a small secret from your parents Maybe it was so difficult for you to harbor, and yet now it like rolls off your tongue. It's so easy for you to deceive them. You see, sin is never satisfied with one thing. Sin is not satisfied with you doing one task in disobedience to God. No, sin wants to consume your life over and over again. And, and here's our last point. And you guys, I, I thought of this one all by myself, okay? And as I, I, this is one of those I was, like, really proud of, okay? So get ready. Write this one down. This is our last point, and, and, and I was really proud of it. It's just straight from me. Here's the point. Here's the last idea. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. Maybe you didn't catch that. I'm going to write this one down. Here's our last point. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem, it's me. Whether you're a Swifty or not, we can argue that later. There's some powerful truth in that line. In a culture that says, blame everyone else, in a culture that says, don't take responsibility. In a culture that says you're not the problem, they're the problem. Now, I don't mean to diminish that there are problems and there are other people that cause pain outside of us. But what I'm, what I'm especially inspired by is that Taylor in this song is willing to say, actually, the problem resides in me. The problem of sin isn't just out there, though it is. The problem of sin is within you, and it's within me. In fact, I, I, I've got some—I've got some hot takes that I want to share with you guys. And here's the thing: I recognize that I'm going to lose so much respect from so many of you after I share these, but I, I just got to share these with you, okay? And, and I want to know where my people are at and how how people respond to these. So let me just share this hot take real quick. I got a few of these. Hot take number one is this: Pineapples don't belong on pizza. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. We're friends. We're friends. We're, okay, I, I, I hear you, I hear you. that's enough. All right, let's go to the next one. We're friends. Mario Kart is better than Super Smash Bros. Yes! This is so cool. You guys, I thought <laughs> I thought we were gonna become enemies. We're besties, this is good. Okay, all right, we'll see if you hang with me the rest of the time. All right, next hot take. Mint chocolate ice cream is disgusting. There's a lot of boys. Okay, all right, okay, all right, that's fair. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. You guys, Jesus said, love your enemies. You got to do that right now. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here's the next one. Here's the next one. Raising canes is better than Chick-fil-A. Raising canes is better than Chick-fil-A. Oh, okay. Two more. Now, hold on. Hold on. Before you. Oh, oh okay. All right. Yeah. That's, let's read that. Um, I knew so many of you were going to hate this one. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, hold on. Before you, don't put up the next one. Hold on, hold on. Don't put up the next one. Okay. Here. All right. Here's the last one. And I, I fear, even as I share this, some of you are, are going to boo me off the stage. Okay? Like, you guys are going to be done with me after this. But I, I want to be honest with you guys. Okay? So, so here's, here's my last hot take. the movie version of a book is always better than the book itself. It's always better. It's always better. It's always better. Now, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. You guys, you guys, now hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you write me off, before you write me off, I'm the camp speaker, I gotta say this obviously it doesn't apply to the Bible, okay? Like, chosen is good, but not like this, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Let let me share another hot take with you. Let me share another hot take with you. My sin is a problem. My sin is a problem. That my sin hurts me It separates me from God. It separates me from other relationships, from from all that God desires for me to have. And here's what I need to tell you about your sin. Your sin, your struggles, your temptations, they are too big for you. Your sin is too big for you. It is too powerful for you. Satan is too big for you. Satan is too powerful for you, but not for God. And so the only way forward, the only way forward is for you and I to recognize the sin that separates us from God and others, our disobedience to God's word and his design for us, that it's too much for us to handle on our own and we need some kind of intervention. You see, sin looks like paradise, but in reality, it's always a prison. I remember when I was in junior high, man, I was running and hiding from God and my family, and I was keeping so many secrets, and I was a skateboarder, and I loved to skate, and, and I was hanging with older guys and just doing things that they were doing, and I was drinking and smoking, and there was so much in my life that I thought, I remember thinking, man, this is so cool. That was like the idea in my mind. And then I remember going to bed at night and just feeling empty. That when the buzz or the high wore off, I remember just feeling like I need something to occupy this because I'm feeling the weight of sin, of death in my life. James, the brother of Jesus, he he talked about this. He said in James 1, 13 to 15, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Sin is not just a bad decision you made last weekend. Sin isn't just something that you're so glad nobody posted about or nobody heard about. No, sin is a death sentence. And I'm absolutely convinced that until you come face to face with that reality, you won't be able to come face to face with Jesus. And his great love for you. So I don't know, particularly in your life, the ways that sin has gotten a hold of you. But I know that it's separated you from God because it always does. I know it's promised you life, but it's delivered death. And I'm going to ask you to do something really brave and courageous today. And it's this. But to first, confess that to God. To fully acknowledge your sin without making excuses, without blaming others. But to fully confess bringing your sin to God and saying, God, this is what my life has looked like. This is what I've been participating in. This is the ugliness of my story and life. And then I'm going to ask you to do something equally brave and courageous, and it's this. To share with your cabin. That I hope you could find some time before our message tonight. And if you can't, maybe after our message tonight. But to find some time as a cabin to say, this is what I'm struggling with. And I deeply believe that As scripture commands us to confess our sins to God and to confess our sins to each other, that when we do that in a community that loves us, that when we confess to God and we begin to confess to each other, that we will begin to experience the grace and mercy of God. If you want to come face to face with Jesus, you have to first come face to face with your brokenness. And as we'll see tonight, it's because God has something unimaginable, unfathomable for us. But to receive that, we've got to be honest. But it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these students. thank you for your word that is just perfect for for communicating to us the truth of who you are and the brutal reality of who we are. I thank you that every person here is made in your image, has value and worth. And yet your word is so clear that every one of us is enslaved to our sins. And that apart from Christ, we'll be separated from you forever. God, we live in a culture, and a moment in history where it's not popular to admit our faults, our sin. To confess those things. But we know that according to your word, it's the only path forward. And so I pray that you would give each one of these students boldness and courage today to be really honest with you about the sin in their lives and to be really honest with their cabin, their friends, their small group leaders, their youth pastors. as we wait and anticipate what you're going to do in this place, in each of our hearts tonight. We love you, Lord.